T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It's time to talk politics. It's Hardline on WBEN. Now, WBEN's David Bellavia. Well, welcome to Hardline. It's Sunday. It's 10 a.m. in the Buffalo surrounding area. If you're listening to this, you're thinking to yourself, well, uh, Meet the Press is in two hours. Well, before Meet the Press, there is Hardline. We're joined as, well, for the last four weeks in a row. We can't break the streak. Uh, We have uh, Dr. Jacob Nyheisel from the University of Buffalo, Associate Professor of the School of Political Science. Thank you for once again spending your Sunday with me. My pleasure. Thanks, David. And we have a special guest in studio, uh, retiring. Now, this is the the thing. I'm a Bills fan, right? Who isn't, being from Buffalo? 1986 was a very important year for Buffalo Bills fans. That was the year the USFL folded. We ended up getting Jim Kelly. We got Kent Hull. The Bills franchise was created. And also, we had someone running for... Buffalo Common Council. It was 1986. Is that when it all started? Well, just before that, in the 60s, my brother Tim and I, and he was an Erie County Court judge and a city judge. We used to go to the old rock pile all the time, and we saw OJ's first game. Jack oh, Kemp yeah. was quarterback. There so we go. We were there all the time. That is 86. The, yes. That is the voice of uh, David Franzek, who is uh, retiring after 33 years in public service. That's right. 33 years. Now, I want to go through your entire career, but I want to just... Uh, ouch. Uh, ouch. Well, ouch. no, well, <laughs> well we could, no, here's what I want to discuss. I'm, I'm intrigued by a lot of things. First of all, uh, there are th- elements about your, your education and your career that we don't hear about when we read the Buffalo News article and we heard you on WBEN. The first thing I want to talk about is the fact that you are a Harvard-educated councilman, which is something, and the, and the Loeb Fellowship, there are 10 people every year selected for this fellowship. This, and then we're talking about global, 10 global individuals brought in for this uh, fellowship. You were one of 10 in the year that you received your fellowship from Harvard. And this has to do with uh, built-up urban environments and the natural uh, resources and the environment in which they're in. How do we maintain the parks and the beautiful areas of Buffalo at the same time not inhibiting Buffalo from growing, a beautiful city. How do you have the modern, uh, you know, in bringing in people, bringing in investments and jobs, but not squandering all of the different uh, things in nature? Well, Dave uh, and Jake, that was a fellowship that was geared for those who have an impact on the built and natural environment. And when Rick Reinhardt was Tony Mazziello's deputy mayor, he had been a fellow and he came to me, then he moved on to deal with the planned unit development project in Washington, DC. And he goes, hey Dave, why don't you give it a shot? He goes, they're not gonna pick a politician. He said, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So I applied for it. I was selected for that and it was thrilling, it was exciting. And they looked at it and said, why'd you pick me? 
And they said, well, you were chairperson of the Buffalo Parks um, um, Conservancy back in 92 that led to the development of the Olmstead Parks Conservancy. You had a big impact on historic preservation projects in Buffalo, which I did. I had more legislation than anybody. And uh, you are at the local level, and we're interested in going in that direction. And so I went for a year, and uh, I just loved it. I thought it was the most, one of the most exciting things I could have done. When you look at Buffalo today, where what are those complexities that you know maybe we don't quite understand? We want Amazon headquarters. We want you know all these Fortune 500 companies to come to our city to employ the the residents of of the area. But at the same time, you know we dealt with this when when they changed the Skajakwita and the speed limit. You know, is it a park? Are we a natural reserve? Are we an urban, you know, modern, progressive city? How do you balance that? Buffalo was only waiting for its time to pop. It was in a period of dormancy. You know, in the industrial age, we were really, you know, 10th largest city in America. And then we went into that decline because the whole economy changed, the society changed, people moved out, industry moved out. But we are that latent opportunity to only realize its potential as a, a city. And cities have always been the center of a community with all the amenities. You know, we're on the we're on Lake Erie. We it was only a matter of time before this could this could happen. So you know, the point of government is not to get in the way, but to help facilitate the reinvestment, the reinvention of what has been uh, always a very solid, important part of world culture, which is a city. Given your work in this area, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about was historic preservation. And one of the things I'm struck by when I travel to, to some other cities out there is they have you know, physical reminders of the past in that area. And here in Buffalo, it's sometimes difficult to, to find some of the things. Yes, we have statues of you know, prominent individuals, but it seems like a, there was an era of development in Buffalo where we didn't really seem to care about the buildings or, or the, the, you know, the historic companies that were here such that we could preserve them for future generations. So going forward, given that we've lost quite so much, what do we do? How do we make decisions to say, well, uh, this is something that needs to be preserved for the future and these other things are just standing in the way of growth? Well, as a little kid, old was bad, new was good. And my father, who was involved in politics, would take me downtown to watch the demolitions of some of these muscular, robust buildings that had been there for 100 years. And we'd go downtown, and uh, like whether the bank building or whatever, the old library, and you'd see these wrecking balls. And the wrecking balls would go boom, boom, boom. And it barely moved this building. And I said, hey, Dad, this building's a good building. Why are mm -hmm. they taking it down? So that kind of put the little seed there. And then as time goes on, you realize that you've got... Uh, people going to the city of Rome because you've got ruins that have been there 2,000 years ago. So this is our architectural patrimony that lends definition to a city with uh, irreplaceable materials that create a sense of space, and a sense of space elevates a person. Uh, not only that, it creates uh, you know an infrastructure where you know offices can happen, apartments can happen. Uh, gatherings can happen. Cities are supposed to be those dynamic places. You'll never be able to go in. When people go into City Hall, I always say, just don't go to the top. Go to the council chambers. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to find that kind of workmanship? Those immigrants who came in and built these buildings, never going to happen again. So it defines uniquely. There's only those buildings in that particular city. You can find 
you know, generic buildings anywhere. So that's one of the ideas. And, but, you know, that was something that recently we hear people talking about the heritage of a city and these buildings are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Hollywood comes out to Buffalo and films. But, but at the time, when it's 1989, when it's 1990, you're, what are you talking about? This isn't 1920. We don't want that infrastructure. We don't want that look. And now what is, what is the hallmark of Buffalo, New York? It's that city hall. Right. That is the the image you see, the outline you see, and everyone knows that you're talking about Buffalo, New York. We're going to go to a break. We come back. If you'd like to call in and talk to David Franzek, you can do that. 803-0930 if you're a Republican, 644-9875 if you're a Democrat. Those are the two lines to break down where you stand on the issues. If you want to text into the morale killer board, you can text <laughs> in at 30930. Already, the, uh, we, we have uh, the folks that have woken up bright and early for Hardline just to destroy our morale. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to, to turn that off uh, for our guests. At any rate, we'll take your calls after this break more questions uh and we've got dr jacob nyheisel it's hardline and we'll be back after this quick break welcome back to hardline you know what better segue to go from rush limbaugh to david franzek i think that would be the ultimate in political ideology right is that where we're at a little bit of whiplash a little bit of whiplash hey listen uh, one of the things we like about this show is we bring people on and we talk about uh, the tough issues. We talk, and, and today we're celebrating a career of 33 years uh, in public service. Now, uh, and I'm joined, of course, with uh, uh, Dr. Jacob Nyheisel from the University of Buffalo, associate professor, School of Political Science. But, sir, 33 years. Now, people that see the world as I see the world, right of center, right? We look at folks, especially in a city like Buffalo, where Republicans cannot crack any elected office. And we see this guy's been around for 33 years. The founding, this is the most common, the founding fathers never intended anyone to be elected for 33 years. And that's coming from a party that often doesn't run a candidate for for mayor in the city of Buffalo. And common council Republicans, you don't see any conservatives in those races. Uh, But then you have individuals like you who are basically, this isn't a 10-year term. It's not that you're a king, right? If you look at someone who elects a freshman in office, we we look at Axtasio Cortez. And the first thing that most conservatives will say is, this woman doesn't know her place. She's a freshman. Wait until she gets into office and she can start to understand the way, you know, uh, elected officials are supposed to, to act. Well, what is it? Do we want experience? Do we want someone that understands the way, uh, you know, the, the, the city works, the, the way the common council works? Um, what do you say to people that look at you and say 33 years is, is too long? No one should be in office that long. The founding fathers did not believe in political parties and partisanship. That's a good they point. They developed later, and the popular election on the national level only hope it only happened after Andrew Jackson, as the, our, our friend Jake knows. <laughs> so the fact is, is that the whole nature of uh, our thinking about uh, government in Buffalo has changed. And I never believed in term limits. I thought the election was the term limit, and every now and then a council member would put in a resolution about term limits. And I said, uh, that's not necessary because you need that experience with time. And if the people want to put you back, if they don't, they, can, they have a short leash on you, they can pull you out. I had to run for 16 years in a two-year term. So in two years... Well, well can- see, what, the things that we talked about before the show that I was really fascinated with, a local office is, cannot be a national ideologue. 
This is a really important part because, you know, you, you think that a Democrat going into a common council race is going to drape themselves with the politics of the president of the United States. If they're a Democrat, a Republican is going to run with Trump. But when it comes down to the common council, when it comes down to the city of Buffalo, they know exactly what they want. They want services. They want industry. They want jobs. They want all the different things that you've dealt with with 33 years. You can't be a national ideologue and run for a, a citywide race. If you use a national ideology as your basis to run in a local office, you are being very foolish. And uh, I, you, you don't operate that way. The people want to know, you know, when is our sidewalk going to be repaired? When is our, you know, policemen going to be in the corner because they're crack dealers? When are you going to deal with these slumlord houses? The, the national ideological discussion does not trickle down. How does it, it might trickle down in the sense that, oh, in the national level, uh, uh, the Congress and the president may eliminate the block grant program, which has been around for decades and decades about fixing poor neighborhoods. Well, that's a political decision, and that's something you might want to ideologically fight. But to deal with all you know these nuances of national politics, you can run for Congress and do that. I've done that. I didn't make it. And then I would get into that, but not on the local level. And, and unfortunately, it is trickling down to that level. You're hearing, you're here, you are hearing more of that, and I think it's unfortunate. Well, I, I want to talk about uh, the the way that you're getting out of your political life, because oftentimes, first of all, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on this program, the statement that you made getting out, and again. You know, a Democrat, we see the world 180 degrees differently. But the way that you did that is one of the most honorable ways I've ever heard any elected official leave something that you're good at. You've been elected 16 times. You're obviously, you know, you, you very well could have won another election. But you said that this is the time for the next generation to come through. You didn't name a young elected official that you want to replace you. You weren't trying to be a kingmaker when you said that. So many people get out of their careers because of scandal. They get out because of shame. They get out for other reasons. And we end up seeing them as the head of security at the Buffalo Bills or, you know, working the, you know, Walden Galleria public services. Here, you're doing this because why? Well, Kenny Rogers said you got to know when to fold them. And you could go out like a Spartan on your shield. Or worse, like a kamikaze pilot, boom, and you're done. So uh, I said a few years ago, you know, if a bright young person, guy or gal came along, um, you know, I would try to help them and I'd say, hey, time to pull the pin, guy. Time to move on to something else. And that's kind of happening. In more recent election, you had what I would call bozos running. I didn't feel that they, you know, could do the job one way or another. We've either, either malfeasance or whatever. So... Uh, so now you got a you know, paradigm shift, uh, which is a word which I don't even know what it means, but you have young people coming along, and I, there's this, I could name a few, I don't necessarily have to name them. No, we don't have to but, name anyone. Uh, there's a young gentleman that works for Common Council staff who's very, very good, and he's bright, the kid's bright. And I'm saying, gee, what's, what's my problem? 33 years ago, was there any elected official that looked at you and said, I'm going to give up my career so that you could have one, or did you have to go and take it? No, some of those were old men and women that I kind of liked because I wasn't old at that time, and they probably were uh, younger than I am now, but I figured they were old, and I, I was just kind of admired. Hang I used to hang around the Common Council in the 1960s. 
because my uncle was a councilman. My father worked there, so I was always just fascinated. But but that generation did not really open a lot of doors for younger people no, to, no, to go no, through. They no, held no, on to those no, positions no, as long as they could. No, they were also more in uh, in thrall to the county chairman. I can recall hearing about how Joe Krangle used to mark their agenda, how they're supposed to vote, and that <laughs> that really changed. They, he literally would mark the agenda and say, that's, "This is." That's what. That's what. Yeah, that's what the was rumor was then. that yeah. they would tell them yeah, this is how happened. you're voting. Yeah, and he was a very capable, <laughs> smart man, but it shouldn't work that way. Well, I want to hear uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Jacob. You can ask some questions here too. I, I want to get some uh, old school stories on uh, Jimmy Griffin and uh, Mayor Massiello and and even Mayor Brown if you have them. But go ahead. Yeah, before delving into that though, I was just curious. In general, again, not naming names, what do you see in the the current generation? Why why now? What are some of the traits that you see? Uh, among your students, because you're, you're a teacher as well, um, you know, students uh, like mine at UB, uh, what is it about that generation where it said, yes, now this is the time to, to hand over the baton? Well, Professor, you, uh, as an expert, know your Machiavelli. And one of the things interesting about him is that human nature never changes. And he studied uh, ancient Greece and Rome in the politics. So human interaction in politics does not change. So these young people are fundamentally the same as every generation that went before it. There are some, there are some motivated uh, people who, for one reason or another, want to get involved in politics. But uh, the, the, the system of a person involved in politics doesn't change. You know, sometimes it's new wine in old bottles. So what is this generation's shaping uh, forces? Is it being a millennial? Is it how you're brought up? Is it, do you remember people from the Great Depression? That, you know, when I was elected, I was elected by the greatest generation. I'd go door to door and you'd have a guy said, I fought in the Battle of Peleliu in, mm -hmm. in, in the Pacific. And I would listen to their stories. They're all gone. So what are these kids listening to? They're going door to door and they're getting different um, feelings. So they're pretty much the same as every generation before it, but their time chronologically has come. You know, we're going to uh, have uh, another half hour uh, with David Franzek. We're going to talk more about his career. Uh, you know, th this is, uh, there's so many questions I want to ask. This new generation coming into the city of Buffalo, not only uh, are they not from Buffalo, but we're seeing people with a totally different outlook on, on life compared to the way you grew up in the city. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about some of the old stories of the old mayors. Uh, I, I love that stuff. I love living. And also, I want to ask you some environmental questions. Today, we're, we're hearing about the new Green Deal. We'll be talking about that, too. We'll take your Republican calls at 803-0930, your Democrat calls at 644-9875, and your text messages at 30930. We'll be back another half hour. Hour of Hardline coming up after Alan Harris with the news. Welcome back to Hardline. And in the intro, we heard about Jimmy Griffin, mayor of Buffalo. We've got a gentleman in studio who is uh, stepping aside after 33 years in public service. David Franzek, uh, we talked, uh, we also have Dr. Jacob Nyheisel here. Jimmy Griffin, mayor. 1986 is when, when the whole career started. You worked with Massiello, with Griffin, and, and of course now with Mayor Byron Brown. Tell us about uh, your relationship with Jimmy Griffin. Well, Jimmy was a force of nature. <laughs> I mean, he was just all energy, but he was like so tightly wound. He was a boxer, too. He was so tightly wound, and he could just blow like the, like the Big Bang Theory. So my relationship with him was, uh, you know, we, I liked him in the 70s, and then when I got elected to the council, 
I was elected to a group in the council that was generally confrontational with him. But at that time, the council was a lot more confrontational with the executive branch of government. So I found myself on the side that was usually fighting him. And some, you know, uh, issues I'd fight him on, I didn't like the fact of any mayor trying to control the common council, which they all tried to do to various degrees. And uh, so my relationship was kind of rocky, and there was that uh, story where he kind of stormed into my office and grabbed me, grabbed my neck, and, you know, I actually filed a warrant card. All I wanted was an apology. My old man said, hey, I don't lay a hand on you. Why should Jimmy? So, um, you know, it was a But, I mean, just think about that in today's politics. That, of all, uh, it's just so outrageously out of line for anyone to put their hands on anyone. We talk about the famous cane beating uh, (laughs) during the Civil War. I mean, that is beyond, that would be completely repugnant. We'd be talking about the the governor from Virginia. That would be a national story if someone did that today. Things were so different then. In compared to today, when you look at the confrontation with the executive branch, you know, today it seems that Mayor Byron Brown is just, I mean, there's nothing controversial about what's going on with the relationship with the Common Council. Do you think it takes those, those you know, almost semi-truck head-on collisions no. in the 80s to get to where you are now? No, no, no. Byron is a lot more subtle. Ah. And he is much more effective than Jimmy Griffin ever was in controlling the Common Council and interfering. He does it in very subtle ways, in quiet ways. Outside of the media. He is outside the media. He is laser focused on controlling that council. Now, is that because media has changed or because Jimmy Griffin was just such a a, a tightly wound, you know, TNT yeah, bundle? Yeah, he, t- he was a TNT bundle. Later, I got along very well with Jimmy Griffin when he was in the council. He voted for me for council president. But with Byron, uh, he is uh, very skillful politically. He's he's quiet about it, <laughs> but uh, he's he doesn't use the bludgeon. He uses the stiletto in political maneuvering and in, in trying to control the council and, to a large degree, doing that. Now, when you went to Mayor Masiello, where does he fall on that spectrum? Tony was by far the most pleasant of those guys. Very affable, nice guy. But he, Tony Masiello, was a politician of the old school in the sense of, he said, no one has all the power. In our democracy, no one should have all the power. We need a balance of power. I'm offended when one branch tries to take over another. I wouldn't do that. Uh, But Tony knew that everyone had to be brought at the table and everyone had to feel comfortable, get a taste in some way, Mm. but in a good way. And he'd say, Mark Coppola was majority leader and I would sit with Tony Mazziello as mayor and say, Mayor, what can we do here? We don't agree with you on this. How about if we can do that? And Tony was always willing to work that out. I've always said you can do things for Byron Brown, but not with Byron Brown. Wow. And it's a lot tougher. When we did negotiate the budget, it was a lot tougher. When I was council president at Block Grant, he fought us every step of the way. He tries to manipulate who's appointed to council vacancies, controller vacancies, but he does it in a in a very very subtle way. But it's the, but it's the, it's 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 a more strong hammer underneath. Offline, just a little bit ago, we were talking about the old Tip O'Neill quote, the all politics is local, and you were, you were speculating a bit that that doesn't seem to be true anymore. National politics is creeping its way in really across all levels of government. Just wanted to, to hear your thoughts about why you think that is. Is it a, a party stereotype thing where, where everyone thinks of a Republican or a Democrat in a certain way, and there's a push toward you know making that image something that goes across all levels, or is there something else at work there? 
we're dividing ourselves. I grew up during the Vietnam War. I remember the race riots. I remember the student protests. I remember wafting uh, uh, tear gas in Allentown. And uh, I think we're more divided now. Uh, and and it, the tragedy it took a crisis for us to come together for a while in 9-11. And so I think this acerbic extreme, everyone has their own little silo. Everyone, well, you know all that. You know, you can go and look at your own mm -hmm. thing. Nobody watched Walter Cronkite and says, you know, and people think the same. The thing is that you go to what you're comfortable with. And what that is, is, de is demonizing who doesn't think like you. And that is trickled down to every single letter, whether it's identity politics, whether it's, you know, I'm a victim and now it's my, when is it gonna be my turn? I've been picked on and now it's my turn and you know, we're gonna step on anybody going forward. So it's, it's I, I feel very uh, sad about it and I think it's worse than I've ever felt. I was going to say, Allentown, you don't smell tear gas anymore. You smell weed constantly. <laughs> and now legally so. And now legally so. Where, where do you stand on the idea that all these different businesses are coming into Buffalo? It was, you know, Solar City was going to be the future. Now it looks like a $200 million investment from a California company for CBD oil. Does it, are, are those types of investments, are they flash in the pan or is that going to define the future of Buffalo? Washington had you know, a farewell address. Eisenhower had a farewell address. What would you warn the people of Buffalo to look out for in the future? Well, they want their leaders to have their integrity and be true to themselves and, and not let the job uh, lower them. It should elevate their thinking in a high-minded way. One of the problems in Buffalo is occasional lack of imagination. You know, when we used to go to the Congress of the New Urbanism, I met with a John Norquist, and these guys are full of ideas and high-minded, to be high-minded. You know, it's the Daniel Burnham thing, make no small plans. And I, I don't think we do that. Um, and I think that, you know, okay, you say businesses are coming in, and that's exactly what we want, and we have an office that tries to do that, but we can't create the business. We should create, the, the Brookings Institution said, we should create the foundations that the businesses to want to come in. Safe streets, police there, infrastructure, the water is flowing, the trees are, you know, to create, the, to fix the basics so these businesses want to come in, which they will, because it was only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. And, and again, you said that it was Buffalo was just waiting to get back to, you know, a time when we were the, the 10th largest city in the United States. World War Two, there was a you know, that's when you started to see the erosion in, in the city of Buffalo. And we waited, we waited and waited. And finally, it happened. But it's not going to be because a company comes to Buffalo and Buffalo was not going to lose its identity because CBD oil is made in the city of Buffalo. We're not going to be a solar panel city if Solar City kicks off. What is, in your opinion, is the identity of Buffalo? The identity of Buffalo is a tradition of the great American city. Uh, you know, cities go back, you know, thousands of years and they're resilient. You know, some cities don't make it. You know, you got the uh, ISIS blowing up ancient cities and Syria and everything and there's cities that aren't there. But Buffalo is young. We're only around since, uh, you know, 18, the 1825, 1832. So we got a long way to go. And I am, uh, you see, the thing is, uh, you know, like I'm like the crazy guy that when we go on vacation, we go to Detroit. We'll go to Cleveland. We'll go to, we, you know, it's, I'm just, we're so about cities. You're because, a Rust Belt vacation. <laughs> yeah, Rust Belt right. vacation. Absolutely. Well, well, why yeah. not, right? It's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cruise line. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. from it's Lake Erie. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. We come back. We'll have more uh, with uh, David Franzek. We'll have more with Dr. Jacob Nyheisel. We'll talk about uh, 
the the future of what you have planned to do with your life and also uh, what's going on with we're going to talk about this new green deal and if that's something that you would have talked about when you were a, a Loeb fellowship uh, at uh, Harvard and we'll also talk about the future of Buffalo and so much more 8030930 if you're Republican 6449875 if you're a Democrat we'll get to your calls after this quick break it's hard life Welcome back to Hardline. We're back with uh, David Franzek, 33 years in public service, stepping aside. It's time for a new generation to come through. We've heard a lot of wisdom here. We're also here with Dr. Jacob Neuheisel. You know, when we leave, we're hearing a lot about this uh, new Green Deal. And at one point, the Liberal Party of New York, which I don't know if you could, back in 1994, the mid-90s, I don't know if the Liberal Party is what we would consider to be liberal today. I think these names are all, you've got conservative party that's endorsing Democrats and Republicans crossing, and you've had the endorsement of the liberal party, the conservative party, the Republican party, the Democratic party, and independents, I'm sure working families. Fusion politics, It's that's what New York State is. But when you look at where the uh, progressives in the House of Representatives are talking about you know, it's either the environment uh, or it's, you know, it is basically we, we need to reconstruct buildings. We have to get rid of all these different things. It's one or the other. You in your entire career has been about synergy of maintaining values of a city. This is what we want to have. These are the parks that we want to preserve. This is the nature we have. But we can still have business. We can still have jobs and commerce. Is it all or nothing with the way that you see the environment going? Or is there a way that we could continue to have responsible moderation uh, with our conservation? Well, uh, Frederick Law Olmsted said our parks are the lungs of the city. And he said we're the best planned city in the world. So, And also trees are very important. We try to replace our trees that we lost, which is key. Uh, a recent resolution I had was the protecting our Great Lakes because if you go to Toledo, it's a green soup in the water. There's blue-green algae. If you go to Cleveland, they're having a problem with the blue-green algae. And as close as Erie, PA. That terrifies me. So uh, I filed a resolution that our public works department, that we interact with Canada, interact with... Uh, uh, this is, goes on the national level to make sure that our waters, we aren't hit by that blue-green algae. And that's just because without the water, we're nothing. But as far as, is it an all-or-nothing proposition, though? Is it that we have to replace every building to make it more energy efficient, modern, and less of a carbon footprint? I don't footprint? know. You know, I think wherever we can. Uh, you see, City Hall is built in a smart way. It's not a sick building. You can open windows, and you can easily retrofit. And the buildings of the 70s were all sealed and hermetically sealed. And so we just have to think better in urban design that's, uh, you know, the fact is we've promoted bicycles, pedestrian. We have a bicycle and pedestrian task force that produces more use of bicycles. I took a bike to work for a while. It, was, it looked so ridiculous that I figured I'd go back to my Ford Focus. But, um, you know, you can't, you're going to know there's cars are going to be there. You're going to, you know, have buildings that maybe need to be retrofitted, but we can do it in a smart way. Are you going to stay in the area, or is this retirement for you? And 
going to no, head like, out to. To use the vernacular, I ain't going nowhere. You know, I mean, right. the thing is, we, we, I've lived on the east side most of my life. My wife and I are there. We've made a commitment. We're city dwellers, urban dwellers. And so I, I think we're going to be around for a while. What do, you, do you have any regrets as far as what you wished would have been accomplished in 33 years of, of public service? Uh, that's a good question. I would say that uh, maybe um, the being diffused in power, uh, people mostly thought we were miniature mayors that could do things mayors could do. They didn't know a councilman was a lawmaker and, you know, worked on the budget. Um, I, I always wish I could have had more effective legislation and been more effective, courageous at times. I felt I need to be more courageous. and um, uh, But I would say overall, keeping a person's integrity, and my father said integrity is the only thing that matters. So at least I've done this with uh, knowing that is true. I never had to worry about people attacking you, sending leaflets that, you know, you're the, you know, the most horrible person in the world because I knew that. So now let's, let, now let's put on the other hat. What is the one thing that, that you're proud of, the most proud of, and what's your legacy? I would say is that, um, number one, the integrity in elective life, that trying to keep uh, a high-mindedness and fighting for the integrity of our concept of government, of having separate branches of government, that's how government's supposed to work, not having an authoritarian control or anything. It destroys democracy. Interesting. Uh, can we go back real quick to the idea of the, the Great Lakes? In many ways, still Buffalo's lifeline, uh, having the, the lakes right there. Um, how do we protect our resources from you know, others who may be running out of water, who are looking and eyeing at the, the Great Lakes and thinking that that's a, a great idea to siphon some off? Uh, what can we do to protect our resources here and, and keep others who maybe have not have planned as, as well as we have from you know, encroaching upon that? We in the council have done memorializations, which are resolutions asking the state government and the federal government uh, to protect our Great Lakes, since our power is limited in the charter to dealing with Buffalo, so we can't make those international or national compacts, but we have done those resolutions. Excellent. All right, with the uh, remaining moments we have with David Franzek, we're going to take a quick call on the Democratic line. Rick in Grand Island, uh, you've got 30 seconds. Go ahead, sir. Yes, uh, good morning. Um, I had the great uh, privilege uh, to work 10 years uh, in the council for a district councilman, and uh, that's how I met uh, Councilman Franzik, and I just wanted to uh, wish him the best. Um, I've always uh, had great admiration. Integrity is the, uh, the uh, great description uh, of uh, Councilman Franzik, and uh, I just wanted to uh, tell him that uh, my wife and I um, wish him and his wife the best. Thanks, Rick. Very kind of you, Rick, in Grand Island on the Democratic line. Uh, that's a nice little way to end it. Absolutely. You know, never would have been ever going to take a Republican call to be like, let me tell you something <laughs> that you don't want to talk about. So as we wrap this up, 33 years of service, uh, we've heard uh, the things that, you know, you, you have experienced in this time. Buffalo, you're, you're optimistic about the future of the city of Buffalo. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm very optimistic. You've got uh, folk coming down in and moving downtown. The neighbor, the new immigrants are unbelievable. When I was first elected, it was primarily a European and then it was African American. Now it's, uh, you know, Bengalis are coming and people from Bangladesh. So you always have this constant change and, and turnover and you're getting new restaurants and new energy. So that's what Buffalo is all about. It's, you know, it's people coming in and Culture and and, Culture, and yeah. adding yeah, more yeah. flavor, I guess, to the uh, to yeah. the city and what we are. And uh, as far as uh, your the next part of your life, what are you looking forward to? Uh, as my my wife knows, I'm going to spend two years 
cleaning our garage, cleaning the <laughs> cellar, cleaning Two the attic. Looking for that know. 1956 yeah. car that yeah. Uh, we... Yeah, we talked about. Yeah, but so so two years cleaning the garage, and then uh, what, what else? You gonna write a book? Are you gonna teach? Um, what do you want to do? I'd still like to teach. I teach at Buff State, and I, I'd love to keep doing that. Uh, others have suggested, uh, you know, they always say there's at least one book in every person, so that I guess that's something I should look at. And, and it's when uh, you're when you're looking at these students coming through. This, we talked about the polarization of what identity politics and Republicans are supposed to hate Democrats. Democrats are supposed to hate Republicans. Everything we see on cable news. When you see these kids, do you, do you see that they're, we're hopefully breaking that mold with the well, future? Uh, I never say I'm an elected official to them, and I never say what my politics are. I don't say if I'm left, right, or whatever. We discuss things like uh, capitalism, socialism, democracy. What is democracy? What is communism? What is this all about? And I sort it all out, and, and I say, at the end of the day, in our country, you make up your own mind where you think you want to go with this. I said, I'll, I'll, lay, I'll lay it out to you. I'm not telling you how to think, uh, whether part in a part. I never put a partisan politics. They ask me what party you with. I'll say, I'm a Democrat. Well, they'll say, what do you think? I'll say this. But I said, I'm not telling you that. You've got to make up your own mind. Well, good for you. And teaching kids how to think instead of what to think, I think, is a huge, uh, important step. David Franzik, thank you for taking time out of your day. 33 years, job well done. I appreciate you coming in here and, and, and giving us your day. Thanks, Dave and Jake. Thank you. Thank All you, right. And we're going to take a break, and uh, we'll have news from Alan Harris, and then uh, we'll talk about a little bit of what we heard and extrapolate that to the Green New Deal. We'll take your calls at 803-0930 if you're a Republican, 644-9875 if you're a Democrat. More hardline after this quick news break. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 